This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Guys, just before we get started, if you're loving the podcast, can you please go leave us a five-star review on Spotify and please make sure that you subscribe on whatever channel that you listen to us on. It helps us out dramatically. You know, obviously our podcast listeners are one thing, but for me, taking it a step further, that 250,000 people in our Facebook group who genuinely want to be better at money and I get to be a part of that journey, Mm. like I cannot tell you how often I cry. Like I cry probably every second day or so because the beautiful DMs I get, the messages on Mm. Facebook just flood in of like, Victoria, I've been listening to your podcast for two years and I'm finally out of personal debt. Or Victoria, like my partner and I are now able to go and do IVF because we had no idea we could access it through Super and this has been a dream of ours, but we've never been able to do it. And, you know, these people check in and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm so excited for you. And then a couple of months later, they'll be like, Victoria, we're pregnant. Like, what a dream. Mm. Like, my life is sick. What it really means Victoria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I am, um, as I was saying before, I'm a, I'm a big admirer, so... Um, obviously when you enter the podcasting space, you, you do have a look at who's doing it the best and, and obviously um, you, you aspire to create content on that level at some day, uh, at some point, right? But um, as I said, it, it's been really exciting for me because being a podcaster, you kind of, you do look at what other people are doing and you kind of go, oh, that's great. And, and I think it's, it, it is a testament to, um, you know, the content that you're creating. And, and as I said, you know, I always look up and you're in the top three at all times. So You are very kind. We, I still don't know how we're there. So if this <laughs> podcast is about how to create a, a top-ranking podcast, it's still beyond me, um, but I'll try. I think, you know, I think it's a testament to, and, and you know, we were talking a little bit before, but, you know, um, the need you're filling and, and what you're doing for people and the impact you're making. And I think more than anything, it shows that you're just able to connect with people, which is, I think, the biggest thing that I'm realising anyway. So, um, I feel like community is definitely the biggest part of our community. Or, or Community is the biggest part of our podcast, right? Like everyone will talk about like how to be the best at content or who has the best segues or who has the best audio tracks or like the best producer and as much as all of those things are super important. I think the one thing for us is making sure our community feels heard and feels like the content was created specifically for them and I think that that's the one thing that we're really good at yeah definitely and I and and you know us just starting one of the you just mentioned it, it like you do focus on a lot of those little things right like the yeah like it's and the so easy to things. compare yourself and be like oh my gosh if we change this like at the end of the day <laughs> listeners don't care like audio producers do I do now that I'm so into it and I really notice it in other people's podcasts but that's not why people consume content right yeah 100 percent. and you just mentioned it like one thing we're realizing is it's it really is about community building and, and interaction and and making the the listener feel like they're you know they're they're a part of something and 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 so on so definitely get that I'd love to start with how it all started you know I I, I think you know, building such a powerful platform that you have, I'd love to kind of hear about how it started and, and you know, potentially how you kind of come to this realisation that it could be a, a, a business, you know, opportunity. Uh, accidentally, I think, <laughs> is the way that I became a podcaster. So 
I laugh a lot because, you know, I sit in front of people like you and you are so creative and you've created this entire business plan and you would be horrified to see how I run mine because I just am so cowboy about it. I'm like, all right, well, let's get them on the pod or let's do this topic or whatever it is. And I started my journey way back. It was three years ago and I was working as a financial advisor in a high net wealth space, right? And I wasn't that engaged. I loved the work. I love talking about money. I love financial advice and the strategy behind it. And that's arguably why I'm in the industry, but I would be very, I guess you could say, I hope none of these clients are listening, but I'd be very disengaged at the meetings. I'd be like, I don't particularly care about making the rich richer. Like this just doesn't make me that happy. I'd sit down with families that had billions and the kids would just be so entitled and I'd just be like, "Uh, you are not my people. Like I cannot relate to this. Like I am earning not much money, but I'm also from a background where wealth wasn't the most important thing. So it was just Mm. to me very jarring. And as much as I performed very well, and the clients would never have known that. I was very much like, this ain't my, this is not my niche. Like, I don't get it. So I started trying to work out how I would engage young women and young millennials in financial advice because that's the type of client I wanted. But arguably, these types of people can't afford advice, right? Like, advice is very expensive and it is very out of a lot of people's budgets. And so I was like, ah, oh, like, what can I do to... You know, and I wasn't as structured. Looking back, I see this is what I was doing, but I just wanted to find something that kind of nourished me in a way that my day-to-day job wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I was that friend as well that you'd sit down at brunch and I'd be like, all right, Kyle, so this week we're going to talk about compound interest. And, <laughs> oh my gosh, did you do that investing thing I told you to do? Yeah, you'd be yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. and I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. So I was that friend that would accost her girlfriends at brunch and talk about money and finance and I decided to do workshops. I was like, all right, well, what if I did like lunchtime workshops and I'll go into different businesses and like I'll get paid for this. This is sick and talk about finance. And so I started doing that and they started getting a little bit of a reputation in like, I guess, the law industry in Melbourne because I go to law firms and do these like lunch and learns. And that workshop was called She's on the Money. And so I did these she's on the money things and I'd talk about superannuation and investment and insurance to young women in law firms to be like, no, I know you're not going to put your hand up when other lawyers are around because you just don't know what you don't know, but you also don't want to tell your senior partner that Mm. you don't know what's going on with your super, right? Um, So these took took off and I was, you know, stoked about it, but had no idea what to do. And after these workshops, I'd get heaps of emails being like, oh, V, I forgot to ask you. Or, hey, V, I feel really excited. I just checked my super and like I've rolled them all together. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. But those are the conversations I wanted everyone else to see. Mm. So I created a Facebook group and I said, if you've got questions, like pop them in there and we can have these chats. And that kind of blew up really quickly in a way that I wasn't anticipating. And when I say blew up, like I've got a fair few tickets on myself. I remember the day we hit (laughs) 1,700 people in that group and I was like, this is the most amount of people I've seen in my whole life. (laughs) Like, And financial advisor Victoria put her hat on and was like, if I could convert 5% of these into clients, I've made my life. Like Mm. this is going to be great. So that's kind of where she's on the money came to and at that point I asked my Facebook group what do you want like how do I you know nourish you how do I give back to you and I guess that's why I always say like it starts with community and it's always about community because that's literally why it was there I didn't know at the time that I was creating a business 
In fact, I hadn't even conceptualized that. I Mm. knew I had Zella, which was financial advice. And I was like, that's that. You know, if any of these people convert, I'll be super stoked. And so I asked them and they said, video, can you make a YouTube I was like, no, absolutely (laughs) not. I do not have the confidence to do that. Yeah, anything else. And someone mentioned a podcast. And at that point in time, I had a couple of friends who were working in the podcast space. And I was like, all right, like this could be fun. Mm. I could do a 12-episode season and it would just be the basics of financial literacy. And then in my community, I could always refer back to it. So I was really happy to pay for that because at the time I was like, this isn't really a business, but it's something I want to do. And I'm in the you know, very grateful position where I could afford to pay for a producer and I could afford to have these things done because I had no idea about audio editing. And so we did all of those 12 episodes and I guess one thing just led to another and it literally blew up. Um, And we're now, what, 350-ish episodes in and consistently the number one business podcast in the country with about 1.6 million listeners now every month, which is, to me, insane because, like, I've never even seen that many people in a in a spot and I remember talking about that 1700 like to me that's so Mm. pivotal in my mind 1700 people in a group and that's now 250,000 so we have you know created this business around it but the podcast definitely came before the business side and before commercializing it like that first season of the podcast cost me a lot of money to produce um and I didn't even know about sponsorship I didn't even know you could Mm. make money in this space I had literally no idea um and it was only when I started going wow you guys really want a second season but in my head I thought well done like I didn't know there was more money conversation to be had um so obviously looked at it organized it got it done um and yeah now we're here and she's on the money has an entire team of people, like I employ someone specifically to look after a Facebook group um, because there's 250,000 people that have questions um, and there's 250,000 people that need to be nurtured and looked after because at the crux of it, they're the most important thing to me Um, and every question that we ask, whether it's content or a sponsor or what we're going to do next or should I write a book or should I do this, it always goes back to how does that benefit my community and would they want that? Um, and very often I'll pop into that Facebook group and be like, hey guys, if I read a book, would you read it? And they're like, yes or no or whatever it is. And I guess that's a very big part, like feedback and live feedback and just asking them what they want next has been a really big part of how we've grown. Yeah, wow. How much do you attest to the, I guess, the the success that you had on in the early days and, and then continued on to really serving an unmet need? You know, or or because... It's really interesting that you say that where you're like, you know, uh, you talked about your, you know, your job and, and you know, you kind of had these feelings and, and so on because like it's, I've got the same story. Looking back, it's so clear, right? Yeah. In the time, I thought I was crazy and I thought I was just like, you know, lashing out in a way and doing some content because I was bored or I, I don't know what I was doing at the time. I think a lot of people give me a lot of credit that I don't deserve for being very business-minded and entrepreneurial and so intelligent. I'm like, oh no, this is because I was bored and kind of interested. Yeah, but I, I also think it's like, you had a, a deep passion for yeah. that thing that you were working on. And I feel like that often can get lost in the weeds with like business talk and stuff like that. It's like often if you find something that you're passionate enough about, the rest will be history. And because yeah. you, you know, it's so true, right? It is so true. And I guess 
my history as a financial advisor is relatively short-lived, right? I think I've only been in the industry for seven years. Prior to that, I actually worked in organisational psychology. So my background, like my educational background was psychology and then I did an MBA and then after that I went into finance um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do but I did know I wanted to help people and Mm. I wanted to impact people and I guess underlyingly always putting people in a better position, even Mm. to my own detriment sometimes, has been ingrained in who I am and what I want to do. And I think that I've always followed that um, as a, if you do the right thing, like good things happen, Mm -hmm. right? And like my parents have always been so supportive of me. They've always been like, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're happy and as long as you're having a good impact on others, like we couldn't care less. And I think I've always just chased having an impact and making other people feel better. And psychology, I felt like I ended up hitting a wall Mm. because I started being asked questions um, because the type of psychology I was in was called organisational psychology. And that's essentially the science of people at work. And you, I was working in culture and engagement and how to engage employees. And I'd go to these sessions and I was like this baby green, like child essentially asking executives like, sir, why aren't you engaged anymore? I saw your results and whatever. And he'd be like, oh, Victoria, I don't care, but my wife's pregnant. We've got a mortgage and we didn't plan the pregnancy. And, you know, it's all very exciting, but I just don't know how we're going to afford it. And I would like shut off and be like, sir, you are in your forties. I have no idea how to help you. Like you're the one that's meant to have it together like stop (laughs) so I think that I started looking into finance because as my blinkers were pulled back in a way I realized that the older you get doesn't mean that you know what you're doing Mm. Um, and I always had this idea especially because I was working corporate right like I was working for a big four so exciting like that's the creme de la creme of what I wanted to do and I just assumed all of the senior consultants had it together and the more I learned the more I was like oh I do not want to end up here what do you mean you're in personal debt or what do you mean this that or the other and so that's where my love of finance came from and it's not really that I love finance. It's that I took this passion of psychology and wanting to help other people and partnered it with something that I knew could turbocharge that mm. because there's not one bad thing that can happen when people are financially literate. And if I can teach you how to do that, like everything in your life becomes better. Your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, like your relationships, your work, like everything is better if I can teach you the basis of financial literacy and actually how to interpret that. Because I think a lot of people go, well, financial literacy is understanding how to use a bank account and how to do a budget and I'm like it's not it's absolutely not um so I think that when I realized that that was kind of it sounds a bit uh fluffy but I realized that was a bit of a superpower I was like far out like I can change lives here and that's what I was trying to do in psychology but you Mm. know not getting that far with execs that's when I think I really wanted to start impacting millennials and women and changing their money stories and that's yeah that's what drives me like the idea that there are, you know, obviously our podcast listeners are one thing, but for me, taking it a step further, that 250,000 people in our Facebook group who genuinely want to be better at money and I get to be a part of that journey, Mm. like I cannot tell you how often I cry. Like I cry 
main probably every second day or so because the beautiful dms i get the messages on mm. facebook just flood in of like victoria i've been listening to your podcast for two years and i'm finally out of personal debt or victoria like my partner and i are now able to go and do ivf because we had no idea we could access it through super and this has been a dream of ours but we've never been able to do it and you know these people check in i'll be like oh my god i'm so excited for you and then a couple of months later they'll be like victoria we're pregnant like what a dream mm. like my life is sick. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, you know, I think looking back at kind of something you said earlier around, you know, being in organisational psychology, uh, you would have you would have been getting that feedback in real time and noticing, yes. wow, I'm having the same conversation it's so over and over again. And yes, and then I think you know, like, honestly, like money is one of those. It, it is. Your understanding your relationship with money is like an absolute superpower. Like what you said is like f- even myself for a long time, I reckon up until the age of about 24, 25, until I really started to like want to understand it and, and, you know, did my research and so on. And, and it's a continuous journey. It always is. But, you know, it's one of those things that it when you can see money for what it truly can do for your life and understand it and then like you said, you know, and you would see this more than anyone is the magic and, and it can literally it, change your life. Yeah, and I think yeah. that people think that you need more of it to change your life. And that's not the case at all. Like it's, it's so interesting talking um, about what I'm passionate about. And I was having this conversation this morning with um, another interview that I did about the difference between equity and equality in a relationship. And should you be paying equal amounts of rent if one earns heaps more? And there's just this ongoing conversation about money and money stories that I go, you really deeply, truly need to understand this because you know, whether you are female or male or non-binary, it doesn't matter, but your relationship with money does define how you act around it, whether you want to admit it or not. Like, mm-hmm. whether you're evasive of it, that comes from the way you grew up around money. Mm-hmm. Like, and it could be, you know, you just being a little bit ooh, icky about opening the bills or not wanting to pay the bills, whereas there are other people that couldn't give to flying whatevers about paying bills because it's never been a point of contention for them. Mm. Like money might make some people feel really free and really liberated and they're like, whatever, it doesn't matter, I'll make more. And there's this trend on TikTok at the moment. They're like, I I can save again, but I'll never be in Capri in 21 again. And I'll just be like, wow, like that's a part of their money story to be able to... Mm be so open with their cash whereas other people who might have grown up in a world of scarcity they might have really good paying jobs now but they're super frugal and they're like oh you don't go out for brunch often because like that's yeah no that just gives us the it can you just go how cool is it to start to understand that even about yourself or about your friends like I was having a conversation the other day with somebody and they were like oh my friend's so stingy I just don't like going out for coffee with her because like we go out for brunch and she just orders a coffee and I just oh I hate it and I was like let's reframe this like why do you think that she just orders a coffee and she's like oh I don't know and I'm like what could be a plethora of things like she either is saving for something and she's like really committed to that and we should applaud that like that's not annoying Mm. or it could be the flip side like maybe money gives her mad anxiety like let's think about this individual how did they grow up Mm. we like had to think about it and I was like yeah like that makes sense that's part of it do you know what she probably doesn't even realize she's doing that she probably just thinks oh just order a coffee because it's the cheapest even though she can afford it. Mm. Like understanding financial empathy, which is like a term that doesn't exist, but I, 
I'm just going to coin it, right? Financial empathy is not going, oh my gosh, sorry, Kyle, like that's so bad. I can't believe it. It's just going, wow, I can see how you'd see that. Like I can see how your view on the world would look like that given your experiences and how much more empowered are we being able to step into your shoes for a second and be like, that's not stingy. That's an outcome of the way you grew up. That's Mm. just you spending money in the way that makes you feel comfortable because all of us have different comfort levels instead of like, oh oh my God, he grew up poor. So he's just like so stingy. Like that's a dick conversation. Yeah. It's, and I think, uh, I mean, look, and that takes a level of self-awareness to be able to do that as well. So it kind of yeah. talks to the relationship of being able, I mean, look, having empathy for in general. For anything is yeah. hard, but I think it's also money. You can't have financial empathy without understanding your own circumstances. 100%. Because money carries, and it shouldn't, but money carries such judgment. Whereas from my perspective, money's a tool. It is a tool and we allocate that tool and that resource to the things that are of value to us. But so many of us don't even know what our own values are because it is just too much of an overwhelming conversation to have. So we stick our heads in the sand, ignore it, find out that we're 45 one day, wake up and go, oh my gosh, I haven't done any of the things I want. And you try to do it then. Um, And it does feel sometimes a little bit like no such thing as too late ever, but it's just the sooner you can pull your head out of the sand and go, why do I feel about money? Or why do I feel like this about money? Or how does this work? Or what does this mean? Or what does this look like? Like the sooner we can better our own situations, but also change the lives of others. Mm. You're on a roll at the moment. So I want to kind of, there was a a back question that was the last question I was going to ask you, but I'm going to roll bring it forward because I think, as I said, you're on a roll. (laughs) What, What would you say some of the top three misconceptions around money you know, is or or what are, you know, is there anything, is there kind of like a, is there any tips that you can give to say, you know, people listening? That more money is not better. So I think that would be my first one. Like you need to understand every single dollar that comes into your bank account and every single dollar that goes out. And I could probably say to you right now, Kyle, how much do you earn? And you'd be able to tell me, but what you probably couldn't tell me is how much you spend annually and what that number is. And the reason you can't do that is because that's so tightly related to our values and our own system of judgment that, oh no, I don't want to know that. Like that would mean I did a budget or that would mean that I actually knew what I did but like that those two numbers are going to be your most powerful and working in the space that I work in I have got clients and I've, I've told this story before I think not on a podcast but at speaking events and stuff I had or have this client um, and they have a joint income of about half a million dollars they both do really well one's a barrister one's a, like a school teacher but like very um, senior she's like a vice principal um, and they have come to me I've obviously changed the semantics a little bit because if they listen, they would not be impressed with me. <laughs> but they came to me and they said, like, hey, we really need to organise our stuff. Our daughter listens to your podcast. I'm like, Mint, like, this is so good. Um, but they're now in a financial situation where you would look at them and be like, Rich, great. Their kids went to private school. They have, like, a fair few kids. They all went to private school. They go to the Hamptons. So, like, they have been to the Hamptons every second year, obviously COVID pending, and then they would also go on ski holidays. So, they're in Australia. That's obviously a really big trip, especially if you fly a business class. Mm. Um, They don't own property because they were in a lucky position where they moved into a family-owned property, and I guess they just spent all their surplus income on Mm -hmm. cars and boats and lifestyle. Um, And now they're in a position where I have literally – sat them down and been like what type of lifestyle do you want when you retire and they're in their 50s so we have about 15 
little bit more than 15 years to make this happen and they have to come up with about $17,000 each and every single month to achieve the goal of retirement. And when I say the goal of retirement, that obviously looks very different to other people. But to contrast that to another client I have, which I inherited from another financial advisor who left the industry, husband and wife, she's never worked. She was a homemaker, brought the kids up, kids went to public school. He earned about $70,000 a year. He mm. was just in maintenance. He worked in a, in a high-rise building, worked in maintenance, but invested consistently. Sometimes he wasn't able to afford it. Sometimes he had some bonuses and he chucked it in. Mm. He's going to retire more wealthy than my other clients who are now at 50, having to sacrifice 17 and a half thousand dollars a month and come up with that like this other couple that I have had to restructure we've sold cars we've sold boats we've cut down the family holidays like they obviously have a very high income so a lot of people will be like oh my god they're so lucky they must have everything but like my other client who was always on about 70 grand a year like at the end of his career maybe closer to 80 but you know did well Mm -hmm. and invested consistently is going to retire more wealthy like because of his consistency and because of his ability to manage money and this other couple that you look at and go, wow, their lifestyle's so luxe and this and that and the other, like their retirement position, like they're happy with it. Is it what they wanted? No. Mm. Like it's crazy to think that this other couple, you know, 70 grand a year, he's retiring. They own two houses outright now. They actually don't know what to do with their pension. I'm like, oh, when you retire, you're going to have about this much. Like, I think I calculated it to be about like $88,000 a year coming in from their super and from their investments. And they're like, oh, Victoria, we don't need that much. And I was like, <laughs> okay, but like legally you have to take that. So, you know, we can talk about it later, but this will be your income. And they're like, oh, we just don't need it. So it's it's so interesting contrasting and comparing that. So that would be number one in a very long-winded way. Um, the second is really about, yourself and defining yourself Um, and I think that one of the biggest misconceptions around money is actually that and I whether this is a misconception or not I've decided I get to choose (laughs) Um, it's actually tying your self-worth to your income and then that makes it harder to have conversations around money and make financial decisions because you so closely relate your income to your ability to be successful or your ability as a person or how good of a person you are. Um, And I saw this the other day when I was talking to someone from my community. I ran into them at the supermarket, which I do all the time. I love it. It is literally my favourite thing ever. Like, that sounds so lame. But when people like, I listen to your podcast, I'm like, do you actually? It's one of those things, like, and sorry to jump in, but it's one of those things that I noticed too. Like, we've recently started to do really well and it's like, you go, hang on, those numbers on the screen are actually people. people. And it's like, wow. And they're at Coles and we're both buying overpriced lettuce. It's so <laughs> exciting. Or you see them in the um, snacks aisle and it's like. <laughs> yeah, don't judge me. Don't judge. Like me at the supermarket, not glamorous. But if you do see me, say hello. But it's it's cool to think that the community has come alive and I suppose they're the reason why I'm successful. But then also I look at She's on the Money and I don't see She's on the Money as me. I see it as a team. I see it as yeah, my community. And they're like, I love She's on the Money. I'm like, girl, me too. Like yeah. I'm obsessed with it. So yeah. it's just, 
it's so cool. But I ran into her and I was having this conversation and I hope she's not mad at me for repeating it. But um, I said, what do you do? How do you do it? And she's like, oh, I don't earn much money. I'm only a childcare worker. Like I've only been in a couple of years. And I was like, what? Like, why are you, why is that tied to the way you're having a conversation with me? Like, that's such a special job. Like mm. what you just told me is like, you're caring, you're nurturing, people trust you with their kids. You clearly got a good police check because otherwise you wouldn't have your job. You're far more nurturing than I probably would be. And your patients must be astronomical. Mm -hmm. She was just like, how did you reframe that so quickly? I was like, because what you do has no tie to your income. Like, yes, it does semantically on what you earn and what that enables you to do. But stop thinking that, oh, I only earn $45,000. Therefore, like I'm not as important or as not as good or I'm not as whatever. Because it's insane to think that your personal self-worth would be tied to your ability to generate an income. Uh, and like, so I can... I guess relate this to business as well in in a sense like I deal with I've, in the past I've dealt with a lot of business owners I used to be in consultancy and it's it's the inevitably your actions are heavily tied to your belief system and the story you tell yourself right so uh, the crossover to money must be impeccable you know in terms of hey like stop telling yourself this story because that's the thing that's actually stopping you taking the action yeah and it, it's it's a way that you judge yourself, but it's also a way you judge others. Like I'm sure if I divulged exactly how much money I made, like you might be like, oh, well, if it was a high figure, you'd be like, oh, wow, like what a wanker, like she earns so much money. Mm. But on the converse, if I said, oh, well, last year I only made $10,000, you'd be like, oh, I thought she was better than that. Like somehow you tie other people's self-worth to money and I think that that's the biggest misconception because it's just mm. a resource. Like why is this resource tied to my self-worth? Like why aren't we talking about how kind and nurturing and empathetic and generous people are as opposed to what their financial status is? Yeah, like, and so it's. Powerful. To me, I think that's a very big misconception and I want to call it a misconception because I want to break that down, right? Yeah. I want to change that. I want people to not see finance as something that defines others, but rather just like, oh, you've got that resource coming in. How do you allocate it? Like it's not like we can all have the same money values. Like you and I could have exactly the same values, but be, you know, worlds apart when it comes to what we actually have. But on the crux of it, like we're all just people trying to do our best, right? Yeah, and, and so, you know, we mentioned before about Steph and Laura and, and one of the points they made was almost, I wonder how many people kind of didn't get to their or reach their potential because of... Because of finance, right? Yeah, or, you know, and more importantly, the story they tell themselves, like, I'm not good enough and it comes down to those, you know, stereotypes or those judgments that, you know, we can make against other people and, and the judgments we also put out into the world that affects someone else, you know? So, and you I think you see that and you'd probably see this as well. Like one of the biggest realizations for me is actually the conversations I have with my team because now I feel directly responsible for them. And it's like, if I say the wrong thing, like oh. they can go up into a ball and like, and that's probably given me more self-awareness with every conversation I have now, not just, you know, and I kind of, it kind of shook me a little bit. I would love to think that I'm a good manager. Um, I'm, maybe not maybe I am like I do have really good close relationships with everyone on my team um but I think that has come from I was in consulting as well um oh and consulting we could have an entire podcast on the culture of that mm. but having bad management um taught me a lot about who I wanted to be as a manager yeah. and who I needed to be for my team to flourish mm -hmm. and you know I 
I feel very honoured when my team tell me things that are going on in their personal life or things that are affecting their work performance or whatever's going on and I just go far out like I must be on the right track at least because there's no way you know 10 years ago when I had a manager I would have been comfortable having that conversation Mm. Um, whether that is you know just like their mental health or their physical health or you know I've got a team member who's like V I really need to chat to you you know I've got this health complication coming up and I'm gonna have a whole heap of doctor's appointments I'm like oh get it like that's fine but imagine having that conversation in corporate that see it as some kind of you know oh he's not that committed or, you know, don't put him on that. Like mm-hmm. I'd end up on the bench for stuff like that. So I think it's I think it's really interesting watching your team as well. But I think from my perspective, I think it's also a lot about respect mm-hmm. um, and a lot about going, I want to respect you so much because I get that back from them. But also like imagine choosing to work for a small business. Imagine choosing to work for someone like me who basically can be a nightmare sometimes to get a hold of. Yeah. But like they're still here building my business with me and, you know, they have the same vision I have and mm. that's really cool. But you're right. One thing said wrong and they're off in a ball and they're just, you know, they've taken it to heart. So I mm. think it's it's made me aware of what I say to them but vice versa what I say to myself because I'm like, oh, like – if I can't say to myself, why would I say it to anybody else? Yeah. Guys, if you're loving this episode, make sure to take a screenshot, give us a tag or even take a photo if you're watching it. Give us a tag, help spread the love. It helps us out dramatically. Guys, I want to say a massive thank you to our major sponsors, BizCover. I was driving home the other night and I thought to myself, wow, we have so much stuff in the studio that is extremely valuable and if anything ever happened to her I would never be able to forgive myself so I needed contents insurance by the time I got home within 20 minutes I was insured there was no paperwork and it was literally one of the easiest processes I've ever gone through and that's the beauty of BizCover they'll give you the best price uh, there's no paperwork involved and it's truly so easy so whether it's public liability professional indemnity or even like me contents insurance BizCover is your go-to when it comes to getting your company insured and making sure Uh, that nothing ever comes to get you in the future. So if you want to get your company insured and check them out, the link to their website is in the show notes. I've been a customer now for seven years and it's for good reason. Check them out. This has just popped into my mind, so I hope it doesn't throw you off guard too much. But one of the biggest problems that I think business owners face is it's not, you know, like, and and I'd love to get your opinion on it because I feel like this this is your wheelhouse. The difference in, say, wealth building or understanding money for a person who's in a startup and they've just started a business compared to, say, someone who's in a job. Um, and, and so because there's, there's different – they're just different circumstances. Yeah, And absolutely. sometimes, you know, like um, there's conversations that I've had previously where it's like, oh, but, you know, my person or my friend who, um, you know, maybe they've been in a secure job for – I don't know, five, six years, they've just bought their first house and I've got my business and I'm not at that level yet. Like, No, h- how it's does it, hard, right? Yeah, how does a business owner deal with that? And, and what any, is there any advice you can give around that? Yes, because I have been in that position for so long um, and I am so eternally grateful, you know, for my partner having supported me to do what I do, right? Mm. Because for a very long time, I wasn't bringing home an income because everything I earned was being reinvested back into the business Mm. and I would compare myself to my friends who'd stayed in consulting and in consulting. Like you can go from, you know, being a grad to earning absolute bank and I was surrounded by people earning a lot of money who had a very luxe lifestyle and I'd be like oh I'm not good enough but like the one thing you forget is that 
you're investing in your business. Like they're investing in somebody else's business and like they leave and they've got nothing to show for it basically mm. except an income yeah. or except, you know, maybe some savings because the income stops. But I think from my perspective, just really trying to put some blinkers on and go, no, this is my race. This is why I'm here. Like I don't want to be on somebody else's path because that's too crowded. I've got my own. Um, it can be really overwhelming but wealth creation when it comes to individuals who have a PAYG job versus business owners is very different mm. even at the crux of it if you came in as a client if you've got a PAYG job I'm like yep no problem let's sit down what type of you know what type of investment do you want to do like let's talk about this I'll do their risk profile and we might end up in a share portfolio that's you know really well diversified and they're making wealth and they've got great incomes but on the flip side when I have a business owner come in I'm like all right Kyle sit down like tell me about your business how long have you been in it have you got good business advisors like what's your accounting look like is that really clean how much money goes back into the business why when where how mm. like there's this whole complicated conversation and most of my small business owners don't then have that share portfolio mm. because their investment is their business. Their investment is their sell, like themselves. I think the one thing I would say to small business owners, and I know um, oh, this is very hypocritical because in complete transparency, I didn't do this for a while, but yeah. you really need to be paying yourself super because it's about making that a business expense because at the end of the day, like this is going to sound savage and as a small business owner like it's and it's a it's a reality right that most small business owners don't end up succeeding most small businesses don't end up making it past that 10 year point so what are we walking away with we really need to make sure that we have a solid steady standpoint mm. so that you are paying yourself super so that if you do have to go get a PAYG job or do another business or do something else there's still that base level of I've looked after myself mm. it's a hygiene factor how can you look after anybody else or have a nurturing business that is able to thrive and grow if you're depleting yourself like it is so counterintuitive and I know that you know at the very start and I say this is why it's hypocritical right because I didn't pay myself super but at the very start, you're like, Victoria, I literally have nothing. And I go, great, let's just make it a line item. Let's make it sure that it is on the balance sheet. Let's make sure that it is in the budget because once you do have cash, it needs to be paid. Let's keep it at front of conversation. Like super, is it a priority? Yes. How are we going to invest to make sure that you're financially secure? I think it's really... Um, it's really important. There's actually a book that I read and I can't for the life of me think of the author, but that's okay. Um, we will get there, but it's called Profit First. And I've read it. You it's, like it? It's a Bible. <laughs> yeah. It's a Bible. It is yeah. just, yeah, that I saved me. I feel like me. that tips everything that we do as business owners on its head to go, no, if you're not nourishing yourself, um, you know, in more complex business words, because it's obviously written by very smart very articulate businessman but if you're not nourishing yourself first how are you going to grow a business mm. so it's all about making sure that you're putting money aside for you and searching for you know wealth creation opportunities for you as an individual at the same time as growing a business and if a business owner hasn't read that I, I I have lost count of how many copies of that book I have bought and given to people it's a yeah it is that uh, you know because I used to be a sole trader and I feel like when you're a sole trader that is also one of the one of the hardest. I never paid myself super, 
you know, and only once I started the company. Because it doesn't feel like a priority, right? No, it doesn't. And, and honestly, like, it, it scares you for so long and it's one of those things you sweep under the rug and it's one of those, you know, dragons that'll come back, you know, twice as big a year yeah. later and two years later and, and so on. And um, it's only once I started a company that it shifted for me because I started to, you know, I put myself on PAYG and, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it, it's a be, different story, it, right? Yeah, it's it kind feels of, a little bit different. You feel forced in a sense. Like now, I have to do it. So, yeah. But yeah, definitely, I, I 100% agree with that. That's one of the things I struggled with for a long time, and and lucky enough, um, my accountants put me on the on the right yeah. path once I, I ended up switching over. So, um, but yeah, 100% totally agree. And that book is just it kind of ch- it's a, such a big mental shift. It's when I was reading it, like the first couple of chapters, I was like, this guy's nuts. Like, I don't know why (laughs) anybody would take this advice. Like, this is terrible. And then by the end of it, I was like in a cult or something. I was like (laughs) buying multiple copies of it. I'm pretty sure if you walked into my office at the moment, like looked on the bookshelf, there'd be like three or four copies because the amount of times I give it to small business owners that come in for advice, um, it's insane. It's actually insane. I'm like, all right, we'll take this home and read it. They're like, do you want it back? I'm like, nah, babe, got three more. Like, it's fine. Keep it. Draw in it. Like, post it, note it. Like, it's it's such a powerful book. Yeah. So I just want to just want to kind of we're gonna shift back to she's on the money after this, but just to round that up, it's more about not focusing on what everyone else is doing if you're a business owner. It sounds so stereotypical to say like, oh, don't focus on what everyone else is doing, but the more time you spend. The more time you spend engaging in somebody else's content, the more energy you're giving it and the less energy you're giving your own business. And I think, you know, there's, you know, I guess I'm a little bit fluffy, but like I think the things you give your energy to grow and if you're giving your energy to other people's businesses or you're giving energy to, um, you know, your friend's PAYG job, those things are just going to get better while yours stays stagnant. And I think that you need to channel more energy into your own business and really be clear on why you're doing that because as a small business owner like there are so many benefits to it that your friends are probably looking at you going like oh my gosh Kyle's killing it like I don't understand like it's not about how much money you're making like it's about the freedom and the change and you know everything else that you get with it that I think is really important so I think sometimes you've got to I'm guilty of this. Like, I have the biggest imposter syndrome in the entire world. Like, it's insane. Like, I'm just like, are they going to find me out? They're going to work out that that I shouldn't have a podcast? Like, I genuinely feel like sometimes someone will come knocking on the door and be like, you're busted. And I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I know. Um, But then I look at it and I'm like, no, no, I'm meant to be here. Um, Don't know how I'm still here, but I think regardless of how successful you are, everybody suffers from From imposter syndrome and like you need to kind of shake that and just give energy to the things that you want to grow and arguably that should be your business. I feel like it's great when you talk to other other business owners too because you realise that everybody's just winging it. Yeah, we're just making it up. (laughs) Like people honestly, and you were talking about She's on the Money and maybe this is a good segue back there, but people are always like, oh, what was your strategy with She's on the Money? And I'm like... Babe, I hadn't even heard of the word strategy in relation to a podcast until literally you asked. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting and I have always seen the most growth in my business and the most growth in She's on the Money when I'm paying absolutely no attention to anybody but my community. Yeah, okay. Um, 
And nowadays, like even at the moment, I'm probably a little bit hung up on watching TikToks and seeing what's going on and seeing what other people are doing on Instagram. And I'm going, oh my gosh. And I mentioned to you before, I walked into your studio and I was like, wow, they have a full video set up and I don't do that. And I really should do that. And like, that's just not helping me grow. Mm. Whereas the periods of biggest growth for me in business have always been when I've been a little bit insular and been like, oh, here's this idea. I'm going to ask my community, do they want that? And then I've gone for it and built it or changed it or done it. Um, And I probably need to learn from my own advice, really. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of us get off track consistently because we're so, you know, I basically am, you know, a meerkat. I'm like, oh, what are they doing over there? And I've got my head over the fence when really I should be looking at the grass I've got. Yeah, it's so true. You can definitely get caught up. Like even everybody does it. It's, it's you know, like we do it all the time. It's like, oh, you know, they've got this great thing going on over there. But then really it's like the proof's in the pudding. Why don't we just talk to our customers, find out what they yeah, want. Yeah, what do you want? Do like more of it your and, customers yeah. are here for you. And I think that, you know, I got some advice ages ago that it doesn't matter if you're not even reinventing the wheel with your business. It's just going to be the way that you do it. And that's the value that you bring. Mm. And your customers and your clients and your community are there for you. Like, yes, you've got a service that you provide, but they could have gone and got that service anywhere right like as a podcast like I would assume that the same is true there are so many money podcasts out there and you can go and get financial literacy Mm. anywhere like I wish I wish I could say I'm reinventing the world with financial literacy alas it has existed for eons and like there are so many great free resources right like money smart is one of my favorite websites it's a government-run website Mm. with endless information and free budgets and tools and calculators Um, And then I've got the audacity to come in and be like, I think I could do this better. (laughs) That's because my community at the end of the day are here because of the culture and because of me and because of what that is. And it's taken me a long time to realise that. But the more I realise that, the more I'm like, oh my gosh, they just want someone to hold their hand while they're reading that. They just want someone to help them through that. Like. We're That's not someone they trust, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think that we need to give ourselves a little bit more credit. So I want to dive into She's on the Money. And, and uh, I mean, I think it's kind of what you just talked about. But And I know you said we're not talking strategies and so on. But what do you think you did really well, right? Like, And, and what do you think helped accelerate the, yeah. the growth of um, the, the podcast? I mean, I didn't have strategy. I think I just had a lot of anxiety. Um, So they're basically the same thing. Um, So for me, I definitely think we were successful because of how much time, energy and effort we put into the content, right? Like it wasn't an accident that 12 episodes came out perfectly formulated and had this structure and we consistently gave our community structure. I, before, you know, even releasing it, did so much research on how to create audio product and felt so overwhelmed Mm. and had no idea but realised that people do look for consistency in things, right? Mm. Like I come to your podcast because I want to listen to pivotal conversations whereas if you went off and did something else and went and started giving career advice for PAYG employers, I'd come and be like, well, this isn't what I came for, right? So I think that giving our community what they're coming for was important Mm. asking them what they wanted and then being consistent so like we did it every single week at the same time each week and made sure that they knew about it and that was the first 12 and then we went on hiatus for a bit because to be honest I had no intention of coming back Mm. um but then it just made sense Mm -hmm. and when we did come back it was about consistency I'm going to give people what they are asking for so like a consistent episode that had a similar structure every single time 
it's like coming home and you know where the couch is, right? Like, yeah. you know, at a certain point in that podcast, you're going to hear a money diary or you're going to hear this question or this is the structure. Um, so we kept that and we kept our posting consistency up. So since season two, um, we have posted every single week exactly the same times. Mm. The only thing that's changed is our actual structure of the episode. Um, so we used to do everything on a Wednesday episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd do like a little catch up at the start. We'd then do like our deep dive and money questions and then we would have a money diary. And now those have been broken out to three separate episodes yep. each week. So we've got Monday, Wednesday, Friday content. Um, and people have, you know, people didn't like that to be honest when we changed it because people don't like change. Mm. But now if we changed that again, I think they'd be up in arms because they now like the new format. (laughs) But it was about educating the community and taking them on that journey and saying, we're going to go and change the structure. Don't worry. You're going to get all the things you know and love. It'll just be on different days. Um, And I think that that really helped. So communication. Um, But I think we also are in a very lucky position where we started three years ago when podcasting wasn't massive. Um, And then we filled this void that, to be honest, didn't exist when I started. Mm. Um, I say there's lots of money podcasts and I'm so good at comparing myself to those. Like I see them and I'm like, oh my God, they're doing so well. Instead of remembering that I'm the one that paved that way. And Mm. that sounds very entitled to say, but like there weren't money podcasts when I started. Like there was My Millennial Money, which is run by a good friend of mine, Glenn James, but that is a very different structure and a very different community to the community I run, which purposefully exists to financially educate women and minorities. Mm. And, you know, when I started, I couldn't find anything like me. Yeah. And so now these things exist and I'm so proud to think that maybe I had some level of inspiration in them. Um, but I think that it was about finding my niche and loving it hard. Like I found my niche of people and you know how I said I had 1,700 people in the group? Like to me, I'd made it. Like I had made it. Like 1,700 was so many and I have tried so hard to make sure that now we have 250,000 people, they still feel that same level of engagement and that same love that I gave those 1,700 people when I was trying to create content for them as I do today. Mm. Um, And that has been reflective in the way that we've hired and we've, you know, grown. Like I've said no to so many beautiful opportunities just because it would take me away from my community and I just don't, at this point, I don't want to do that. Um, One of my first hires was actually a community manager, um, which it probably shouldn't have been, right? It should have been, you know, a content creator or somebody Mm. else, but it was actually someone to reply to each and every single message that came into our community. It was somebody to make sure that in our Facebook group, we have um, pending posts, so you can't just post in our group. It has to go through our admin team. Yeah. Um, And the reason we do that is to keep our community safe because talking about money with now 250,000 people, the amount of posts I decline because they're like, oh, have you heard of this person to talk about Bitcoin? I'm like, sir, (laughs) leave. Please leave. Um, So that's to keep the community safe, but I think they feel that. Um, And I guess, you know, growth to me was always about engaging my existing community in more ways not necessarily growing the community numbers um and it's actually taken me a very long time to disclose what our numbers are 
it's easy to find out the Facebook group um, because it's public and you can go find it. But for a very long time, even with our network, so we're with ARN, um, I'd be like, oh, yeah, can you just not publish that? Like, I don't want people to think that, you know, we might lose touch or that we've lost touch or that there's so many community members because it feels so wholesome Mm. right like you listen to she's on the money or i would hope that you listen to she's on the money and you think i'm talking directly to you yeah um the second you hear there's 1.6 people a month or the second you hear that there's 1.6 million people a month you go oh maybe this isn't so special so to me those numbers were fantastic because like i know that we're having an impact and we're driving change and we're doing all those things but i'm also like but what about those 1700 people that it was all about them um so for me i think not getting carried away with numbers or trying to be the best or, you know, you won't hear us going, we're the number one business podcast. Like, it just gives me the ick. Like, it's just not who I am or what I want to do. Like, I want to meet people in the supermarket who listen to my podcast and give them a hug and talk about their debt journey and whatever else Um, because that's why I started and I hope, I hope I never lose that. But I think that those are the things that have really contributed to our success um and yeah just like this space is just still really underutilized in a way so I still think there's so much room for other financial advisors and mortgage brokers and content creators in the finance space to you know come in and have an impact um because as much as they're popping up I don't see them as a threat Um, because at the end of the day, I do what I do because I would love to think that we could financially empower every single millennial. And if someone's on my team with that and they're going to create their own business to do that, to me, that's sick. Um, I don't see them as competition in a way. Yeah, I I think, look, I hope everybody who's listening can kind of learn from the passion that you're bringing uh, to what you do and, and, you know, how much you care about the people that you are impacting and, and focusing on that because I think that's half the battle, especially in business. And it can start that way, but it can easily take a left-hand turn when you oh, don't are forced with wrong. decisions and stuff like that. Honestly, the business side of things sometimes does my head in. Like the amount of all-nighters I've pulled because I've needed to do reconciliations or do the business side of things, like that's the thing that to me can be really dry. But mm. I know if I get those foundational things right, I can thrive and I can be good and I can be the person that my community needs me to be. Mm. Um And it's funny when you ask me questions about this, like I try so hard to be so professional and so um, articulate, but like I always end up going like, oh my God, I love my community and this and that because genuinely it's what drives me. Like Mm. I'm genuinely so wildly passionate about my community and I'm so proud of them. I'm literally like, you're my children, right? Like I've got to look after (laughs) you. Um, And I think that if any other business owner could just see their community or their clients as the people that see them as that trusted advisor, Mm -hmm. like they're going to be so much more impactful. Like stop worrying about getting more clients, focus on the ones that you have and you love because they're the ones that are going to bring in all of those other followers, right? That's how my Facebook group grew. Like I didn't have 1,700 people that went to my, my workshops, I had a few hundred people that went and I used to get messages. Hey V, I hope you don't mind. I've just added my sister. She didn't go to one of your workshops, but I just, I think that she'd really benefit from this group. And I'd be like, the more the merrier, my friend. So it's, it's interesting to see how organic our growth has been. And our Facebook group is, I guess, a testament to that because I still get in there. We have community management who goes through every day and Mm. accepts people, but you can see how people are added on Facebook. Yep. 
So you can see they either like found you via the like homepage or they searched you or you can see that they've been added by somebody else. And I would still say that like 60, 70% of the people joining our Facebook group were added by somebody else. Yeah, really. So like to me, that's the coolest part. Like it means that the people in my community think it's special enough to bring a friend. Like that's cool, right? Yeah, I think it talks to like what community building actually is and like there is a a difference between, say, content and community. They, there's a really close relationship, but I think what you're saying and, and something you said before as well, which, you know, pricked my ears was around, like, um, familiarity and, and creating that consistency and, and, you know, people... I feel like the people, the way people interact with brands is not what's the best, but actually who do I trust the most? Yeah. So what's the least disastrous decision right now? Because, like, you know, they people would come to listen to your content because... The reality is they don't have, you know, eight hours a week to listen to eight different podcasts. So it's like, well, I'm going to listen to the one that I know what I'm going to get, the one who makes me feel the most special, the one that I trust. Uh, And I think that really talks to what you're saying now around, okay, like building community and creating content are not the same thing. They do closely relate, but, you know, and I feel like um, in media, in order to have a successful business, you do have to have a great community. Yeah. Uh, and, And so... It, what you're saying around nurturing that community and, and and putting them first, you know, is is something that a lot of people can learn from if if they got that type of business. I think that that's hitting the nail on the head, right? And if you can always put your community or your clients first and always prioritize, well, how can I be a trusted advisor in this space? And that sounds very corporate, but how do I be that person that they want to call? Like I adore my clients. So I've got clients because I have Zella Wealth, which is a financial advice practice and mortgage broking firm. But then I've got She's on the Money. But like I just adore my Zella clients that I actually work one-on-one mm. with because they'll call me for anything. <laughs> like they'll be like, oh, V, we're thinking about buying a new car. And I'll be like, oh, did you need finance? They're like, no, we just thought, what would you buy? I'll be like, why do you want my <laughs> advice? But it's about you know, becoming that trusted advisor and it doesn't matter what you do, whether it's in media or whether you're an accountant down the road, like you can become that trusted advisor Mm, and how do you build that rapport with your network that they want to work with you and want their friends to work with you? Like how many times have you been, you know, an accountant is a really good example. Like you always ask a mate, like, oh, I need a new accountant. Who do you recommend? And they're like, oh my gosh, John's so great. Rah, rah, rah. Go speak to – how do you create those raving fans of yours that are the ones that are going to put you in the best possible position? I can't for the life of me think about it what it is but I think it's there's this book and I think it's called like a hundred true super fans yeah 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 um do you know what I'm true fans yeah true fans right so it's about creating those hundred true fans and I read that probably like a year ago and I was like I was a little bit like impressed with myself because I was like I've been doing this already this is sick but it did give me a lot of um pointers and tips because it's not about how many people you love it's about having a small group who are obsessed with you and I think for me that's she's on the money right like I'm obsessed with it Mm. so I want other people who are and if I create an environment where they think it's become too commercial or it's become not what they love they'll be like oh yeah I used to love she's on the money but now I listen to xyz and like that's cool but I've lost my way if that's the conversation that's being had Mm. so I just I would hope that every single person in that community genuinely feels like I care because mm. I do. Like I care so much. Yeah. 
I think there's a lot of lessons in that in in that that little kind of conversation we just had then about community and and the power of community, but also how authentic it has to be. You know, well, it's to interesting it. because I had this conversation. So I do a lot of business advisory, right? Because yeah. I'm obsessed with small business as well. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to someone and they're like, yeah, I just feel really bad like asking for referrals. I was speaking to another financial advisor and I was like, oh, why? And they're like, oh, it just feels like, oh, did I do a good job? Refer me to your mate. And I'm like, yeah, because that feels icky. Yeah. Flip the situation. Like if everything you do is about community and you found a client that you love – how much more engaging is, oh my gosh, Kyle, I have loved giving you financial advice. You're probably one of my favorite clients. Don't tell anyone. But if you've ever got a mate or something that wants to work with a financial advisor, please let me know because I would love to have more clients just like you. You as a client just walk away with an experience where you go, oh my God, my advisor loves me and wants more of me. But I've technically, as a financial advisor, just asked for a referral you're more likely to give me the referral. But if I'd been like, oh, Kyle, so glad. Here's your statement of advice. Um, you know, if you've got any friends that you think would benefit from financial advice, don't forget to refer them. You're going to be like, yeah, cool. Thanks, mate. I'll review on Google too, I suppose. Like yeah. it just feels icky. So I think if you can always go back to like, how do I make my community feel as good as possible? How do I grow that community organically and how do I frame that? I think you can be so much more powerful because going, Kyle, I want more people just like you. You're going to go, wow, okay. And then next time you may ask, be like, oh my gosh, Victoria would love you. In fact, she said she wanted more people just like you. Come on down. Like it just, it grows a community in a way where they feel valued. And I think that that's the one thing that people forget with content creation. doesn't matter how beautiful your content is. Does your community feel valued by the content you're putting out? Because you could do an MS Word document and screenshot it and post it on Instagram. And if it was you taking feedback from your community and they felt like that was created just for them, they're going to love it. Mm. Whereas you could pay a graphic designer thousands of dollars to do an introductory post and they're like, I don't care. It's um, so true. It's it's wild. Content is wild. And the trusted advisor kind of thing, I think more often than not, if you're doing that part well, the referral side of it. They just come. Yeah. Like people want to give their friends and their family a good experience. Like they want them to be looked after. And if someone's had a good experience with you, they're very likely to go, wow, like you could give this experience to my friend. Mm. Um, it's so true. Like I... I my account, that's me with my accountants. I'm like, everybody. Go over here. Yeah, it's like here, you know, and it's because they made me feel that way, you know, and, and, and they gave me the feeling that I'm looking for where it's like I've got someone who's got my back. They're not just doing my best. They're not just kind of checking in with me, but they're actually got my back and actively helped me do it. We and probably have the same account. Yeah, 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 probably. But I feel like that's, you know, that's an example of like the trusted advisor and, and the example of like, I'm like, everybody get here, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but it's like... It's that process as well. Like I'm in the middle of planning my wedding at the moment, which is super exciting. Um, but I'm having these thank you. But I'm having these conversations with just like wedding suppliers and stuff. But I'm going to my friends and like I've picked my photographer purely because one of my friends was like, "Oh my gosh, you're going to feel so comfortable with her. She was so beautiful to work with exactly, on the day." Yeah. And I was like, "That's what I want." 
that's how I want this to go. And obviously then I checked out her work because like photography is important, but that was not the reason I contacted her. It was Mm. because my girlfriend had said that she felt super comfortable with this photographer and felt like she was really heard in the type of photos that she wanted and what she was comfortable with. And I was like, great, like let's book her in. Mm. Same goes for my wedding celebrant, right? I've gotten her based on feedback. I didn't like Google, hey, wedding celebrant Melbourne. I literally asked a few friends and was like oh have you seen this and one of my girlfriends is a wedding planner and I was like who's the most like who's the best like Mm. what does the best mean she's like oh these guys have really big social media profiles but if you look at this woman she you know she's got a good following but she's so engaging like your your guests will love her she does MC stuff on the side like she'll get to know you and I was like okay that's what I want I want to feel like I have a connection like I don't want you know the biggest Instagrammer there Um, And I think that everyone's the same, right? So, like, numbers are important because, like, at the end of the day, everybody – like, I think it's it's the juxtaposition of social media, right? Like, everyone wants to know that they are socially validated and service providers need that as well because I'm going to go find your social media and make sure that I do want to contact you. Whether you had a 1,000 followers or 100,000 followers doesn't matter. It's actually about social presence and whether the stuff Mm. you've put out is nice and kind and doing what I need it to do. Mm -hmm. But I don't care if you have 100,000 followers or you've got 10. I care more about the person who tells me you're amazing. Yeah, exactly. I just did a check on social media Mm. because I think everyone does and it's basically like a hygiene factor now. I'm so sus on people who don't have any form of social media and I'm always like, what the hell? My partner has no social media and I'm like, <laughs> this is a scam, right? Yeah, 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 100%. Um, we're going to dive into the last section now, which is quick fire. So Let's I do have, always have to preface this. It's not – you don't have to cap no. your your response or anything like no. that because sometimes – absolutely <laughs> no context. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to cap your response or anything like that because some people like will say like five words, but it's – that's No, 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 you're just getting cold, cut, dry. <laughs> um, all right, so – Question number one is, what's one piece of advice for your younger self? Oh, do you know what? I don't want to give her any advice because I think she worked it out pretty well. Like, I had a lot of stressful times. Um, I had a lot of things that I wish didn't happen, but I think that all of those things have gotten me to here. Um, so I don't want to give her advice because she was she's pretty egotistical. She wouldn't have listened anyway. <laughs> I, it's such a good answer. I think, you know... Every single thing you experience shapes you into where you are right now and you've got to be grateful for that because if yeah. you're not grateful for that, you're not grateful for where you are right now. So yeah. people always ask me that and I'm like, no, like she was kind of stupid sometimes, but I respect her. Like past <laughs> me, past me did some things that current me definitely wouldn't, but she was doing the best she could with the things she had, right? Yeah, amazing, amazing. Okay, so what advice would you have for future women in business? Um, care about your superannuation, obviously, is a big one for me as a financial advisor. Um, but don't doubt yourself. Like, just stop it. Cut that out. Like, it is serving absolutely nobody. Um, the fact that you want to be in business is putting you ahead of basically everybody because nobody because most people aren't going to take that risk, right? Like it's a massive risk and if you're willing to take it, you can work it out. Um, I think so many times we think we need to be more educated or different or, you know, have the right relationships before we start or have the right whatever. Like there are so many things in business you can do today to start 
you don't have to quit your job and then work it out. Like, mm. you know, as a business owner yourself, you probably know, like, so many of it's free. Like, so much of it is free. Like, you can go do your strategy. You can work out what you'd call your business. You can work out what type of services you'd offer and what you would charge for those services all for free before you've even left your job. Mm. You can make a strategy. You can make a plan. Um, and I think so many times people will say things like, oh, one day I want to have my own business. And I'll be like, cool, what is it? And they'll be like, oh, you know, I'll work it out one day. And I'll be like, okay, cool. Like, why isn't it today? All of that's free. Like, yeah, we'll have to go and register it and we'll have to do a website and do all of that stuff. But do your research today and just get it done mm. because I promise you, we're all just out here winging it. Like, we're just making it up. <laughs> like, honestly, sometimes, sometimes I don't even know how I still have a business. Yeah. Um, but genuinely, like, no one's smarter than you are. Yeah, and it's so true. Like I've been, in, I've had businesses for like nearly ten years now, uh, and guess what? I feel like I've only just started to really understand the basics really well. But it, it, the reality is, I think that the, the lesson there is just, hey, get started and get to work, and because you will learn so much. It's yeah. business is the great teacher of of of, of it, it's. The, I call it the great character builder because for oh, me, yeah, I I owe who I am today and who I am in the future to my business because it just keeps you humble, it keeps you grounded, it teaches you what you need to know. And like I look at it and a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, like I could never do what you're doing. And I'm like, I can't even do what I'm doing. So (laughs) I don't know um, why you couldn't have a turn. Um, And I think a lot of people look at me as well and go, oh yeah, but you have like so much education behind you. None of the stuff I do in business has anything to do with my degrees, I promise. Like I wish someone had been like they don't even bother with that because I still have six figures of hex debt and that's terrifying um and I have no intention of paying that off sooner but like none of that stuff I'm using day to day like all of that stuff I have to sit down and I remember sitting down my accountant and being like cool um what's a bass um can you teach me how to do that um so I think it's yeah you just learn as you go like fly by the seat of your pants it's a great seat to have it's very uh, great advice and the next question was actually, I think we've already covered it, so I'm going to skip. What's the most important trait that a founder must have for success and why? Tenacity. I think you need to be tenacious. Um, again, I'm a big reader. You're probably picking up this. There is a fantastic book called Grit by oh, Angela so Duckworth. And I adore that book. But that the crux of that book is it's not about being smart or privileged or... Um, the best in the room it's actually about having grit and tenacity and if you get knocked down getting back up and always trying and trying again it's actually about the grit in you that keeps you um, keeps you going and that's what creates a good successful business owner Um, to me like I I would love to think that when people are talking about me they'll be like oh she's tenacious Mm. um And that's the thing that was one of the defining characteristics of me because, like, I just think that that's what creates success. Like, cool, it didn't work. What are we doing next? Like, not, oh, my God, it didn't work. Woe is me. So I would say the most important trait is, you know, grit or I like the word tenacity a little bit better. (laughs) It's so true. And I think it ties into what we were talking about before around getting started. Like, you know, I can attest that exact value to me being in business for 10 years it's not that I was the smartest or I knew what I was doing it's just that 
I wouldn't accept no for an answer. And, and yeah, if we got no, it wrong, exactly. I just went. And I think it kind of is just a true testament to what you just said. Exactly. And I think it's it's interesting because so many people will be like, oh, but it must have been so easy. I'm like, you don't see the background. Like I have had so many arguments with people over organising things or me believing in something that would work and them saying it's not going to work. And I go, cool, well, I'll find someone else to make that happen. And, you know, especially today, um, as a financial advisor and as a money content creator, you've probably seen in the news that ASIC are really like cracking down yeah. and there's like a lot of hurdles and I'm in a very privileged position where I am already licensed. But I feel like having already been licensed, people are like, oh, you must have it so easy. And I'm like, no, because now because I'm licensed, I need to make sure that every piece of content adheres to that license. And like there's this epic oversight that I now need to adhere to that, goes beyond and I was talking to my team this morning um because I've got my admin girls doing a lot of admin at the moment and they're just like I did not know how hard it was to do your job and yeah. I was like I know but like we need to get through this because the entire world is shifting and it's for the better but like it's actually insane how much feedback I now need to go through and how many hoops I need to jump to just talk about one particular topic on the podcast and then you'll pick it up on a Wednesday morning and be done by 10 a.m and be like whatever that was an all right episode and like move on and I'll be like cool that was like eight weeks in the making <laughs> for feedback and changes yeah. and language and it's actually insane but like I'm not going to give up because I know that a lot of people in this industry are going to give up because it's too hard to get licensed or they can't get licensed or, you know, they just don't want to have that type of responsibility because it is a responsibility. And I now look at it and I go, well, I'll just stay here and do what I need to do. But it's a lot of work. It would be so easy to give up. And like this morning, I think I threw my hands in the hair and I was like, I don't even want to be an advisor anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it, I promise. Yeah, and I, I mean, 100%. And, and, you know, like I must say that around the, what we're, you know, you talked about regulation, but um, any, like I've got some friends that are in the advisory section too. And, and I don't think anyone understands how tough that job has been over the last 10 years, you know, like it's in terms actually of, insane. you know, and, and I think that's important to, to say as well, but definitely tenacity is just, it's everything in, in this caper. It's getting started. It's, just, you know, making sure you keep going and, and getting beyond that five year mark that you talked about is it's literally all tenacity and it's not about expertise. It's not about how good you are at what you do. If you're in it long enough, you'll build the skills, you'll build the knowledge, you'll get there. So yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. It's It's been my number one characteristic for hiring and I've never regretted that. Um, so I... I have a team of people that I would say are all tenacious, like they are all diverse and very different, but they all have this level of tenacity that I respect inherently and it's crazy. Um, but I look at them and I go, yeah, that's why I hired you. I don't care what your skill set is. If you're a kind person and you're willing to get the job done and you're tenacious, like I want you on my team because those are the types of people that just get things done. Um, and I think people are always super interested to hear that because they're like, oh, wouldn't you hire them because they've had experience in finance? I'm like, no, nah, I can teach them. I don't care. Mm. Like tenacious people are willing to get the job done. That is the truth if I've ever heard it. Um, amazing. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, I want to say a massive thank you to you um, for your time. I, well, I know, thank you for having me. Honestly, that was amazing. I think uh, the mixture of you know 
understand uh, what you, in a mixture of your journey and the lessons you've learned along the way as well as some of the sound advice around um, you know misconception around money and so on that was just an action-packed episode so super fun. grateful it was very fun thank you for having me and and thanks for leading the way as well because you know uh, as I said uh, inspired by what you do and and you know it drives me as well so a massive thank you that is too kind thank you <laughs> Johnny Boy, thanks for putting the episode together. Uh, what a legend. You're amazing. Uh, and to our listeners, once again, the support we're getting at the moment is just crazy. So it means the world. And, and you know, even like Victoria said, it's the, the people you get to meet as well. So I look forward to meeting uh, a lot more of you. And, and I hope, really hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll grow, man. Baby, we'll grow.